Welcome to XR Star, your monthly podcast where we talk all things extended reality. I'm your host, futurist Amelia Coleman. Today, we're talking about XR and the future of retail, specifically something I've recently come to term v-commerce. In the past, you might have heard me refer to the evolution of e-commerce as XR commerce or X-commerce, but v-commerce, standing for virtual commerce, was introduced to me by my guest today, and I think it has a nice ring to it. Whereas e-commerce is flat, 2D, and interactions are limited to scrolling or looking at fixed photos, XR engines and technologies can turn websites into 360-degree branded worlds. Products become 3D, interactive, and instantly customizable, allowing us to simulate something close to a physical experience virtually, but with some added benefits. Luxury brands like Mulberry, Louis Vuitton, and Gucci are examples of how companies are using v-commerce to reach new audiences and deliver memorable experiences, especially during these times when a lot of people still can't go to stores or try things on physically. Over the past several years, consumers have gone through this learning curve, becoming more familiar with XR and coming to expect more disruptive and intuitive experiences from their favorite brands. XR technologies are opening up whole new revenue streams that we can all take advantage of. A couple quick stats for you, just to put this in a bit of context. Since 2020, AR engagement has increased by 20%, with conversion rates rising by as much as 90%. According to Zapper, AR ads are more successfully remembered and shared by customers and can increase brand awareness by up to 70%. The landscape for spending via AR and VR is expected to increase at a rate of around 52% over the next five years. Part of the reason these technologies are so successful is because they add value. Customers can personalize and customize products in a way that we can't in real life. For brands, they can streamline the customer journey, create easily updatable retail environments, and offer people experiences that you can't get in stores. We're seeing a new trend of digital products that can only be bought and used inside virtual worlds, like Gucci's Virtual 25 Trainers, which you can purchase for $17.99 that are for online worlds only. In the next five to 10 years, we could see that these digital products significantly contribute to brand revenue. And you never have to worry about these products getting outgrown or needing a wash. And perhaps we'll even soon see that these digital items become collector's items, similar to what we're seeing now with NFTs. Companies like Admix are already selling billboards and product placement for brands to capitalize on gaming, virtual events, and virtual concerts. Personally, I'm still waiting for the day when I can have an avatar that reflects my precise up-to-the-minute measurements and can try on clothes for me. The technology to achieve this is available today, and with the progress of smartphones, it's just a matter of time before it becomes a reality. For instance, before you go shopping, you might quickly do a turn in front of your camera. Then at the store, you point your phone at a garment that you like and instantly see what it would look like on your unique body shape and coloring, etc. And then the app can recommend sizes and lead you straight to a purchase. One common misperception about creating 3D environments and products 
for retail is that it's costly and hugely expensive. Also that it takes forever and that you need to hire someone who is an expert in XR technologies and design. Also that 3D and 360 is only impactful via a headset. But today I'm here to tell you that while those assumptions might have been true before, that's not the case anymore. We've come a long ways, my friends. And part of the reason I invited today's guest on the show is that his company is helping to democratize these technologies to be inclusive and accessible to all. And I think everyone should know about it. My guest today is Alan Smithson, co-founder of Metaverse. The Metaverse engine is a fully web-based design and development tool. It allows you to create immersive 3D, virtual, augmented, and mixed reality experiences and deploy them across multiple operating systems, browsers, and devices with little or no code, thus empowering anyone to be a creator. Users can make fully customizable virtual showrooms that open up new ways for customers to experience and purchase products. Hi, Alan, welcome. Hello, Amelia, thank you so much. That was great. I was actually making notes because you said a few things that kind of made me think, wow, what, what are the things that are gonna come in the future? So very excited to be on your show. Um, the thing I wrote down uh, was 3D body scans. You know, now that the uh, Apple uh, devices, the new iPhones and the iPads, and even my, my Samsung phone here, my S20, uh, these phones all have um, LiDAR scanners in them. So they have the ability to, and what a LiDAR scanner is, is using lasers to kind of send out a beam of lasers and it kind of wraps around the shape of something. So it's really to kind of map the shape of something. We already have cameras that can basically take, you know, 2D photos, but when you take those photos and you kind of wrap them around the shape of the product, then you get that depth and uh, you can start to use them for things like photogrammetry, meaning taking tons of photos of a product and making it into 3D. But I think, you know, having the ability to walk around somebody and know not just their exact sizing by you know measurements around the waist, but every part of them. Uh, then you you can uh, start to think about what happens when we have a world of complete custom and time built uh, products. So I get my product, I look at it, I say this is going to fit me. I look at my virtual avatar, like you said, and what does that look like in you know in the near future? And I think we're not far off from having that very ultra personalized experience. So uh, excited to be on your show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. No, I totally agree. Um, especially these times because my, my weight has fluctuated a bit. And so I don't actually know what size I am anymore. So I think about that when I go back into stores and I'm trying to find something to wear and you can't try anything on. And I think customers might be a bit averse to taking that risk of just buying things that, um, it's almost easier to buy it online. So you can just return it and try it on it. And you know, the comfort of your own home, I, it, it is, um, I didn't know that you couldn't try on garments anymore. I, that sucks. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Damn That's actually COVID. one of my, I know. It's I one of my favorite. F you COVID. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Let's get that almost, out of our system. F you COVID. <laughs> I got my first jab. I'm, I'm excited. So yeah, yes, cool. I, I think life is going back to normal uh, a little bit. Oh, good. Yeah. I can't wait. It's um, it is coming. Um, so let's actually start by um, if you could introduce yourself a bit and maybe sure. tell us a bit about your background and what you do, that'd be a great place to start. Sure. So my name's Alan, uh, Alan Smithson, and I'm a co-founder at Metaverse. And I'll kind of go back a little bit further. Uh, 
in 2010, we invented a, a see-through touchscreen DJ controller uh, for the music industry called Emulator. And it was a basically a fully interactive, uh, customizable touchscreen, but it was see-through. So you could see what the artist was doing on stage. And long story short, we actually built that in 2010. Um, we And just this uh, New Year's Eve, an artist used our uh, device, our big touchscreen, in live and streamed it into a virtual world. Yeah, Jean-Michel Jarre New Year's Eve uh, event. Look it up. It's incredible. It's like a, a one and a half hour concert, uh, fully digital, incredible. Anyway. Who was the artist? Had, Sorry. It's called Jean-Michel Jarre is, is the okay. artist. He's a cool. techno artist. It's really beautiful. We started working with him years ago and all of a sudden he pulls this out and it was, you know, it kind of gives you the full circle. So we started with this DJ product, but we got invited. I got invited to perform on the DJ product in uh, a camp called Curiosity Camp and put on by Eric Schmidt. And so it was this great camp, bunch of founders and PhDs and you know, researchers and um, you know, investors. It was just some of the most uh, you know, prolific conversations I've ever had in my life. And one of the tents in the middle of this camp was a guy showing people this big headset thing, this big honking thing. And it was the, the Oculus DK1. Right. And so I put it on my head put these giant headphones on. I must look like a space cadet. And I had the most mind blowing experience of my life. I was standing on stage next to back, looking at a crowd and being a DJ my whole life performing in front of thousands of crowds. I thought, man, this is what it feels like to stand and look out into the crowd. And I thought, man, this is, this is the future of how we're going to communicate. This is the future. If I can feel like I'm in a tent in the middle of nowhere, but I'm standing on stage next to an artist and the sound was perfect. And I just had that aha moment. And after that, I couldn't get out of my head. And so a few short months later, maybe six months later, we actually started working on uh, on all things virtual and augmented reality. And so over the last five years, we just celebrated Metaverse's fifth anniversary. Um, over the last five years, we've done a ton of different projects, over 80 projects, um, and really just trying to innovate and learn. What what do people want? What does the market want? What, a, what is 360 video? What is VR? What is AR? What is 3D? You know, what are all these things and how are they being used by businesses? So we, we worked in, did work in mining, in food service, in retail, in um, consumer package, packaged goods. We did stuff in pharmacy and in medical. Um, and so we really took a really broad uh, swath of this and I actually started a podcast called the XR for business podcast and it's on all the podcast channels so subscribe if you're interested but what I wanted to do is interview all the people not only making the technology because there's lots of us but the people using it so you know I interviewed the, the head of retail at or, uh, XR at Macy's and Ford and you know some of the bigger companies and what they were doing and how they were using this technology and it was just super insightful so there's a lot of great data in there but what we do now we, we actually created our own game engine, our own development platform, because one of the problems that I identified uh, kind of in the five years of doing this, and, and you know, we created Seven World First. So we were literally pioneering inventing as we go. Um, and we're about to introduce an eighth world first. It's really cool. But anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. But um, one of the interesting things that we found is that Myself as a creator, I love creating stuff. I've been a DJ, I, you know, a musician, I, and I was just learning the software. But learning the software for 3D was like a complete foreign language. They spoke in, you know, different tongues, albedos and, you know, normals and this. So you have, you know, the language of 3D. Then you had to program, which I'm not a programmer. So I was kind of 
stuck. I could get halfway there and do some stuff, but I couldn't really make anything useful because I couldn't code. So we, we really set out to make um, a product that would open this up for everyone. The other problem that I saw is that everything was based on apps. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to find a way to make it available that, you know, from any device anywhere in the world without being kind of bound by app store permissions, you know, waiting for Apple to kind of approve you or, or Google or uh, app store commissions. Nobody wants to pay 30% uh, on the sales that they make within their you know, product. So we really kind of dug into that. And what we released a year ago, a little, a little under a year ago was the metaverse engine. And what it is, is a uh, code optional platform that lets you easily create and share these interactive 3D and XR experiences all from the web. And it works on every device, as you mentioned, all operating systems. And so that's kind of we, where we came full circle. And now what we're doing is we're saying, okay, we have this game engine. It's easy to make these solutions. What are the solutions we can make? And one of the big ones that we're working on now is these virtual showrooms and the retail uh, experiences. And that's where we come up now and it's getting big. Yeah, no, I think it's fascinating. I love it. And that's such a great origin story. Um, that's very cool. Um, so just so we're all on the same page, can you maybe explain a bit about what a virtual showroom is and how brands are using them to engage with customers? This is video, right? So I think if you let me share, I will do a demo while I explain and walk through it if you can. Cool. Um, yeah. Here, let's do that then. All right. So this is a virtual showroom. And basically what a virtual showroom is, is the ability to put somebody inside a 3D environment and let them kind of walk around. Maybe they, they can look at products. In this case, I'm, you know, I'm going to talk through it because for the people listening, you can't see it. But I'm looking at a camera right now and it's a 3D rendering of a camera. Um, it's you know, photorealistic. It looks exactly like the camera. And now I can start to embed uh, animation. So right now the camera's doing uh, an animation showing you where the screen is, it's showing the lens pop off. So you can start to kind of create these amazing interactions uh, with different products. You could, you know, I'm looking right now at an Apple Watch and uh, on the Apple Watch, I can spin it around. And it's kind of slowly spinning within this virtual showroom. So I have around me, I'm in a, in a room. I have decorations of the room. Maybe it looks like a physical store. Maybe it looks like I'm in space. The, uh, the possibilities are truly endless with this technology. So what we're you know, starting to see now is we're starting to see the fact that it works on the web, that brands are going, oh, wow, look, what can I do with this? You know, what is my product gonna look like in this 3D world? And it gives consumers the idea of uh, choice, the idea of being able to interact. And I think it's just a super cool way to get uh, you know, consumers engaged with products. You know, when you go to a store, you don't just look around, you pick up the shoe or you pick up the watch. You look, you look at things, you touch things. It's very visceral. It's, it's emotional. It's interactive. And, you know, typical e-commerce is none of those things. You know, you go on Amazon, you type in what you want, you find a picture, you know, you scroll through the pictures to make sure it's what you want. There's no love and joy in, in buying that. The joy comes when the box comes to your door and you're like, yay. But there's no joy in the, in the buying on the Amazon, you know, or Walmart experiences. It's just very utilitarian and it's really efficient. But, what brands are looking for, what consumers are looking for is a more, just a more shopping experience, you know, an experience in general. And so, you know, as you see here, I'm looking at a, a, a Puma shoe and it's just, you know, really, really uh, beautiful, um, you know, 3D renderings of these products. Now, the interesting thing about 3D is that there's all sorts of different ways to create 3D. You can 
use 3D models, meaning you can actually create them from scratch by hand molding things, you know, in a, in a software, maybe with a pen, or you can uh, take photos of them and, and create what's photogrammetry. So this one here, the red one I'm showing is a, a 3D model, but the one off to the left here is actually, if you look closely, it's actually photogrammetry. So this was actually hung on a, on a uh, hanger and photographed from all angles to make it look like this. So it looks really, really real. And so you have all these different ways to create these. You can now, and even the devices, like I mentioned earlier, that have LiDAR scans, the iPhone and the Android, um, the, the new iPad has it as well. These LiDAR scanners can allow you to now as a retailer, take, you know, let's say maybe 30, 40 photos of your product and create a 3D object almost instantly out of it. And then put those in these 3D world and let your consumers touch them and feel them and turn them and, and feel, you know, interact with them. So I think we're in this kind of really awesome time where the technology is ready, consumers are looking for something else, and brands are really trying to take back the relationship of brand to consumer, where it's always been brand, wholesaler, retailer, consumer. And so I think you're going to see this, this shortening of the, of the path to purchase from brands directly to consumers. And actually, this example here that I'm going to show is it's Gucci. They've created a, an incredible uh, 3D experience. This was not built on our engine, but I just want to give an example of it. As I scroll down the page, you get to see the purse from all angles. You know, as I'm scrolling, it's giving me features about the purse. It's spinning the 3D object around. I'm, I'm controlling the speed so I can go up or down, backwards or forwards. So you start to realize that people just really want control. And now look, I can even choose which purse I want to do. And so right now I've clicked the button at the bottom, it reloaded a new purse, and now I have a whole different style that I can scroll back up, back down. And so you have this beautiful uh, retail experience, all 3D and all direct to consumer from Gucci. So yeah. they're not going through the retailers on this one. So you're, you're, you know, you're seeing brands experiment, you're seeing consumers demand a new exciting experience. And this is really contributing to the rise of the virtual showroom. It's amazing how kind of special it makes you feel as a customer to be able to be in control. It makes you feel like you're getting a you know, that, that this brand cares about what you really think. They're showing you the details. They're allowing you to customize it. They're letting you to be in control. There's something very um, emotional about that, I think. And you know what else it is? And I, I kind of, I didn't realize it until I watched my kids play, you know, Fortnite and, and start to play games. It's that sense of, uh, of mystery, of, of discovery, uh, you know, of yeah. adventure. I'm going in somewhere, I'm walking around, but what's going to be around this corner? And I think the more kind of corners and alcoves and, you know, hidden Easter eggs that brands kind of start to put in these experiences, make it fun, make it so that I meet up with my friends and go shopping. We walk around the virtual mall and we go into the store and the store looks nothing like, you know, it's in space and all the products are floating. We have opportunities to transcend the typical retail experience into something that is more akin to a video game experience. And with video games, massively growing uh, their footprint. Uh, almost everybody's a gamer now of some sort, whether you play a game on your phone or you, you know, you're playing Fortnite on your PS5 um, or, or you know, other games. So I think yeah. gaming is becoming part of, intrinsically part of our culture and retail is not there yet. Well, and also I think over the last, you know, 10 years or so, we as, as society, as people, our attention spans have changed. The way we interact with technology has changed, all these kind of things. And it's like the brands need to make sure that they are um, addressing that with consumers. And by doing exactly like you said, offering some engineered serendipity and some gamification and all this kind of stuff, 
um, puts the fun back into it. And, um, and that is about kind of creating that emotional currency between brands and customers. I love oh, I that. Like that. The emotional currency. Oh, I like that. That's nice. Thanks. That's a nice <laughs> Um, so looking at things like a bit more traditional e-commerce that we might think of like eBay or Amazon, mm -hmm. do you think that the future is that people are going to be able to just take a snap of something in their house, put it up online. And then when we browse, we'll be looking at things in 3d being able to like see what it would look like inside your house or, you know, virtually try it on your body, that kind of thing. Is that where you see this is going? And then if so, how far away are we from that? Well, I think what we will see, and, and it's going to take a couple of years because they were still trying to ratify the 3D standards. Uh, right now, there's, you know, OBJ, FBX, GLTF, and, and USDZ are kind of the most common formats in this part. You know, obviously, if you're in manufacturing, you have different CAD models and stuff like that. But we'll just, if we're talking about retail, those are the kind of the four models that are used mostly in game engines and stuff. So, you know, the problem is that, you know, you have to think about, uh, am I going to build in GLTF and will that GLTF work on an iPhone, you know, on an iPhone? So there's a lot of the, that going on right now. People trying to figure out what that looks like. Brands are like, you know, they, they have maybe a CAD model of a product, but they don't know how to put it into these other formats. So I think there's just a, a bit of um, standardization that has to happen in the next year, I would say. We're, we're already very, very close to having everything standard and ratified. But once that hits, then brands know exactly what to do. They know where to get the models, you know, and we're actually part of this. We're, we're teaching people, we're building courses. Uh, there's a lot of education as to what is 3D, but I think it's getting way easier and way faster. And as soon as brands realize they can do it themselves, they don't need a whole team of, you know, of developers or, or 3D artists and stuff. And you're still going to need these people for the few years. But I think what else is going to happen, Amelia, and this is an exciting time because Somewhere between now and the next five years, my guess would be AI will be able to, and then I know people working on this, they'll be able to take photographs of products. And you know the photos that you have on Amazon already, you know, front, back, left, right, up and down kind of thing. Just take those six Im images that you already have in, in, in Amazon and put it in this AI engine. It's going to spit out a 3D model of your product. And why would you have six photographs when you can just have one 3D model that people can zoom in, zoom out on any part they want? Like it doesn't make sense to have six photographs anymore. So I think in the, over the next five years, be my guess, we'll see Amazon figure that out. And then it'll, once, once one company goes, now all images have a 3D model because our AI said so, then every company will have to have it. And there'll be a race to solve that problem. You know, because if Amazon solves it, or buys a company that's solving it probably is more likely the case. They're, they're not going to share with Walmart. So it's going to be, uh, you know, these brands better think about how do we create these models at scale? Well, and I think what's interesting too is, is because we are enabled through our smartphones to do um, 3D capture and stuff, I think we're going to see a rise of this with people on social media and consumers also driving it. And, and in a way, it's we're meeting up for one of the first times where it's not just brands trying to pull the consumer along with them. It's the consumer actually. Well, you know, imagine kind of when the, you know, what a brand's going to be thinking when a consumer, when consumers start to 3D scan used objects and sell them on eBay in 3D, in 3D when your, your website is still 2D. Hmm. Exactly. And, you know, it's like the time, you know, back in the 90s when, when it was cool to have a website. And then all of a sudden, it was not just cool to have a website. It was essential. And so yeah. we're going to go from cool to essential in probably the next five years would be my guess. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, that that makes me wonder. Um, so so with your engine, the metaverse engine, um, the technology maybe wasn't there only a short period of time ago to make it possible. What What's changed in the last couple of years to make it possible? And when did you first kind of imagine it? So uh, when we started Metaverse uh, back in uh, 2016, we just celebrated our fifth anniversary. Uh, we started as an agency and studio. So we built anything for everybody. And what we did was along the way, we started an accelerator to try to find a product to wrap our, our brand around. And so we found Cherry 3D. And these guys at Cherry 3D, they were a small team, uh, very, very smart people, you know, PhDs in mathematics and, you know, long-term cloud infrastructure architects and just incredible uh, team. And what they had built uh, was actually a, a rendering technology that allowed you to render really realistic and, and high poly, high texture models and serve them on phones and, and you know, uh, mobile devices. And so until that invention, the web was kind of underpowered. And so you, you have uh, other things on the web, but they were either you know, underpowered uh, and the web only uses you know, uh, single threading. So the problem is you, your phone has maybe, you know, mine has probably 12 cores or something. And uh, you know, when I use an application, I can use all of the power of the phone. When I'm on the web, I, I'm pushing it through this one kind of thing. And so it, it allows me only a little bit of the processing power of the phone. Now, because our engine is so efficient, uh, we're able to then you know, put it on a phone. And so it's really exciting. And I think what has enabled web to start to grow is that uh, WebGL technology has been around a long time, but kind of uh, changes and arcs in this and people just starting to think of efficiencies. You look at Snapchat, they bought a, a web-based game engine called Play Canvas and they took it and stripped it all out and said, okay, we're gonna make it now work on our Snap. And so if you go into Snap Studio, it's kind of a pared down version of that that lets anybody start to build face filters and things. But their limitation is they're limited to, I think it's three or four megabytes for the whole scene. So if you can fit something in four megabytes in your whole scene, go for it. Now what they've done is they forced everybody to be ruthlessly efficient with their 3D, which makes it a beautiful experience. You click it, it works, and there's no lag, and that's how they got around that. But I think with the advent of 5G and cloud computing and these other uh, you know, uh, abilities to drive more content and more traffic, uh, we're gonna be able to use our engine because we don't have a cap. We're not capped at four megabytes. You know, we say to people 100 megabyte projects is kind of you know, that sweet spot uh, of where you wanna go, but We've got projects, you know, up, upwards of four or 500 megabytes. What we do is we break them into scenes. So we've kind of worked around that. You know, you get to a project and you're like, oh, that's way too big, but we still need it. How do we make it happen? And we made scenes. And so we're really evolving our product around the needs of our customers as well. So if a customer needs something and they need it now, we prioritize that and build it. And now everybody has that. So I love that. That's yeah. great. So there's no doubt that e-commerce has forever changed retail and the way we shop. And now v-commerce is the natural evolution of this. So what do you think that actually means for the future of retail, the future of the high street? How is it going to be different in five years from now? Sure. Well, I think uh, the biggest outlier right now is, you know, VR and head-worn devices. So right now we're really focused on the devices that people have in their hands, the billions of you know, phones, tablets, computers. These are the devices that consumers have right now in their hands, and that's what they're using. That's never going away. We're always probably gonna have a phone in our pocket and maybe a pair of glasses for some you know, specific task. But what we're seeing is VR is taking off like crazy. People love it. They're you know, wearing it uh, you know, a few hours a day on average. It's, it's really 
picking up steam and the resolutions are getting better. The you know processors are getting better. Uh, Apple is a kind of an anomaly. So I think what we're going to see is the ability of, of these projects, you know, let's say a virtual store, uh, to reside across all of these. So if, you know, if I'm on a phone, I can go in the virtual store. If I go on my computer, I can walk through it in my computer and use my keyboard. If I'm in VR, I can put on my VR and see my real, you know, my real hands and touch things in the virtual store. If I'm in AR, I can put on the glasses and now the, the virtual store is kind of in my space. So we're really kind of at this precipice of, you know, moving to head-worn displays as a computing medium uh, on a regular basis. And so I think we're going to see this melding of all devices. And, and that's one of the things that, the, you know, what's great about our engine is you hit publish and it pushes it out to everything equally. Um, but it's, it's one of those things that, you know, people are on all sorts of devices all day. They're on different social media platforms. So you're going to get AR in, in Snapchat, you're going to get AR filters in you know, Facebook, you're going to have new, you know, 3D things in TikTok, then you're going to have brands that want to drive you direct, directly to their web browser. But I think more and more, it's going to be QR code driven. And it's going to be URL driven, because with a URL, you can drive people give all the functionality and features of an app. But you can do it from a web browser. So you don't have to wait for permissions and commissions, right? So yeah, um, it's really a an interesting time for this technology because it's growing out of every facet and it's not just retail it's affecting training medical um it's affecting education it's affecting every facet of humanity will be touched by the spatial and uh, computing that we're talking about yeah for sure um one thing about you know, going in stores is there's ways that people can gather data. So brands love to gather data about you, you know, dwell time, demographics, all these kind of things. Um, what can we do as far as uh, gathering data in virtual showrooms? Well, think of a virtual showroom, much like a, a real showroom. You know, if you have a retail location and you're a savvy retailer, you're already collecting, you know, um, traffic counts, how many people walk through the doors, where they are. You're probably having heat maps made of where people are in your space. Um, we can do the same in virtual showrooms. The, the only difference is now it's it's virtual and it works instead of one physical store with a bunch of cameras, you, it can be everybody's phone and device. So you know where they are in the store. Maybe they went left instead of right. You can start to you know put products left and right and, and then swap them and say, you know, did the red purse on the right uh, sell more when it was on the left? And you know, we can tie all of this data into content management systems, learning management systems, uh, retail uh, you know, LMSs, uh, these types of things. And so what it allows our customers to do is take the data real time and make decisions about it. And uh, one of the things, one of our customers actually, they, we published something, they ran it for a couple of days and we looked at the data and there was an anomaly. There was just something that was never being looked at. And so what we realized is that we went back to the experience, looked at it and we said, oh, of course on these devices, you can't get there. So we fixed it and it was, you know, it was instantly fixed. And it all, you know, we all lost one day of data or two days of data. Um, and then the rest of the time was perfect. So there's an example of real-time corrections. And I think this is another thing that brands need to realize that we're paving new ground here and that's cool. It's exciting, but it comes with failure and that's okay. You do something, but you shouldn't be investing the whole boat and invest this works great, do more of it. It's the iterative approach. It's that, you know, the idea of using the, the whole um, startup 
lean, uh, lean startup mentality of trying something, running a trial with it, seeing what works, what doesn't work, taking the best out of that and putting it into the next thing and really just getting better and better. And I think you're going to see these virtual worlds, these virtual stores, these experiences, they're going to get really good and exciting and fun and magical. And I, I'm waiting for brands to kind of realize that the creativity, you know, bring in your creative team, put them in here. And one of the things that we're going to be announcing soon, which is super cool, is the ability for people to work together in our system. And that's um, really looking forward to that. It's been something we've been working on a long time. And I think that will be a game changer because now you can have developers and creatives and marketers all in the experience together saying, hey, no, you know what? What if that was over there? And you can real time uh, work on the experiences together. So I'm really excited about that too. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And I love that idea about bringing the community together. Um, one thing I always think about is, you know, like your engine is, is easy enough that I could do it. You showed it to me the other day. It's instant. It's fast. It's, it makes sense, um, which I love. And I imagine that, you know, kids will be all over this, you know? So there's, um, um, just being able to create things for their friends or create things to put inside their games or to bring to concerts with them or all these kind of things. And um, and I, I feel like this next generation is going to be big on the creator side of, of making an impact here. And I'm just wondering if you, I know you have some kids, um, what's your thoughts on how this kind of XR technology is going to impact their expectations and, and ideas around consumerism and how is it going to be different from maybe our generations or past generations? You know, it's interesting. Uh, I think Second Life really pioneered this idea of being in a virtual world and having an avatar that represents yourself, but also doing so in a way that you're, you're buying things, virtual goods for your virtual character. And I think you know, Fortnite's done a great job at that. Uh, Roblox is a $40 billion company. Now we're, we're starting to see um, young people buy digital goods rather than physical goods because their representation to their friends is online. Their representation, you know, my daughter, one, my one daughter, my older daughter, Abby, she's, she's a social butterfly. She wants to be around people all the time. My, my younger daughter is perfectly happy to be, you know, on her phone and, and you know, on her device and, you know, playing Fortnite, that's her thing. And her friend group is on Fortnite and they, they meet up every night, they, they play together and the, the laughter, it's, it's amazing. So I think we're, I, I think there are, and my other daughter doesn't want anything to do with that. She wants to wear fashion, you know? So I think there's gonna be a divide here where some people want digital fashion and some, and we're already seeing that, you know, Adidas did have a digital fashion thing that you can only try in AR uh, on your phone. Um, but you're gonna see, start to see people uh, decorate their, avatars uh, and, and when I say decorate fashion out their avatars, but I think you're going to also see uh, people buy real fashion. So I think it's just really figuring out uh, a way to make it exciting for everyone. And it's, it's cross platform. It has to work everywhere where your consumer is. And I think it has to be something that's universal and the web is the most universal platform we have. I mean, if you, everybody keeps talking about this thing called the metaverse, you know, we're going to go into a virtual world and it's the metaverse and we're going to all meet there and we're going to buy virtual goods and the metaverse exists. It's called the internet. We're all connected to it. So act accordingly, build your yeah. virtual worlds, build whatever, but we're all connected via the web and that's the unifier of the world. So. Yes, very true. Very well said too. Um, last question 
with these technologies, what do you have a, a particular hope that it might um, achieve or change uh, for the good? And then do you have any kind of fears about it that we might have to be aware of? Well, I'll start with the hope. Um, my hope is that this technology um, becomes available to everyone, not just people in, you know, in, in richer parts of the world. I want to see it available for everybody. It's actually why we, we just changed our pricing. We put our creator pricing uh, at ten dollars a month, so it's as you know it's as cheaper than anything out out there in the world. So, um, you know, we have a free tier for everyone, and then we've got a ten dollar a month. So the idea with this is that the creation of this should be as universal as YouTube or as universal as TikTok. And these are why these platforms became so big because people have our creative nature, uh, humans, you know, we are, <laughs> I don't know if you've been on TikTok lately, but people are doing everything from throwing cards into between, you know, little microscopic things to jumping off trampolines and doing 50 flips. Like it's, we are an amazing species. And, um, and I think celebrating these things in uh, in virtual worlds as well, you know, is really going to be part of our expressions. And uh, I think meeting people in these virtual worlds and having experiences together is really what's going to be uh, an amazing part of this. And also, it's been proven that we learn way better in spatial, uh, you know, up to 230% better in, in some of these studies. But, you know, that, that's a huge number. But Lee, let's say we, we can squeeze out 20% more efficiency or, or better learning. That's insane. In humanity, we haven't had these, you know, books gave us 20% better learning, you know, and, and on-job training. But to squeeze out these really amazing um, training and education um, milestones where uh, we're building stuff that is actually moving the needle forward dramatically. And I think this is what really, really excites me about this. Of course, it does not come without its risks. And some of the risks are that, as soon as we move to head-worn uh, displays, glasses, and, and you know VR and stuff like this, we're able to collect enormous amounts of data about people. And, and as much as we would like to, to say that it's anonymous, with only a few minutes of data of just your gait analysis, meaning like how you walk, stand, you know, everybody's got a unique gait analysis. And you know, they did a study at, at Stanford, and within five minutes of this data, they could identify a person. Wow. No other data, just how they're standing. So we also are going to have eye tracking. We're going to have, you know, there's a neurable just came out with earphones that are doing you know, brain sensing um, and in kind of brain computer interfaces. So it's going to get weird. Um, and I think we really just need to think about the ethics of this. You know, when we collect this data, does it stay on the device? Does it stay on my person? Does it go to the cloud? When it goes to the cloud, how does it become anonymized? Um, which, you know, how does that information get sold or disseminated? You know, uh, Facebook's facing a bit of a back backlash with their Oculus product right now, because if you want to use it and buy it and use it, you have to have a Facebook account. Um, you know, so they, they really are taking all this data. And now Facebook has put together, a, you know, a, a very good framework on how they're dealing with the ethics of this data, because I think it's really important that we all think about this data that we're collecting about people is is really a lot we you know somebody said to me look if you are gay and you're you have eye tracking and you happen to start looking at boys google's going to know you're gay before you are before you know it because it's just going to be like oh based on this algorithm of what you look at or how you flick your you know and probably already have it on your phones on what you look at at tiktok you know you can start to understand a lot about people in ways that 
we previously couldn't. So yeah. eye tracking, um, you know, gait analysis, these types of things. And even uh, Walmart started using VR uh, for training and they realized that when they're training people, how fast they complete the task is a great indicator for how good they are in management. And right. so they were able to be like, hey, you're been a stock boy for three years. You're a perfect manager. They brought them in and they, they had a really great experience with that. So I think we're only scratching the surface. And, you know, my personal mission is to inspire and educate future leaders to think and act in a socially, economically, and environmentally responsible way. And if we do this, these three pillars, economic, social, and environmental, if we can start to train everybody to think in terms of those things as we build the future together of this exponential growth of future we're coming into, then I think we can live a, you know, a harmonious life on earth without destroying our planet. And I think this is something that's super exciting to me. And I can't wait to leverage these technologies to get this message out there. I love that message. And I think that's really inspiring and a really great place to, um, to conclude on today. Thank you so much, Alan. It's been such a pleasure to hear from you and talk to you. Well, thank you, Amelia. Thank you so much for everyone. If you made it through, <laughs> through this so far, thank you for listening and uh, very excited to, to meet everybody. And finally, where can people find you on the web? Sure. Thank you. So our, our website is metaverse.com and it's M-E-T-A-V-R-S-E. We took the E out between the V and the R. So it's metaverse, M-E-T-A-V-E-S, <laughs> M-E-T-A-V-R-S-E.com. And you can reach me on LinkedIn, uh, Alan, A-L-A-N, Smithson. And uh, just look for me on LinkedIn. I, um, I have a great network there. And I post every single day something about XR. So uh, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. And I'm looking forward to helping you build whatever it is you want to build in the future in spatial computing. Fabulous. And I recommend um, definitely go to the website, see the virtual showrooms, try, try it out. It, yeah. yeah, it's you can really try all impressive. of our uh, experiences there for sure on any device. Yeah, cool. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us this month. And I look forward to, um, to talking to you again next month. Take care. Oh, no!